everybody. This is Tobias Hagman, and you're tuning in to the Men on Miscarriage podcast. This episode is special, one that I've been planning for a long time with my wife, Kristen. She actually steps in as the interviewer on this one and interviews my journey through miscarriage. Uh, all the ups, all the downs, all the ins, all the outs, and some specifics that we're hoping that those of you who have gone through this can relate to and hopefully get some healing or an opportunity to resonate with. So we hope you enjoy it. And uh, if there's anyone out there that's interested in doing one of these podcasts, uh, I know it's hard. And doing this for myself is a way of uh, being able to set an example uh, of healthy ways to talk about this and go through it. So again, enjoy. And uh, we'll see you on the three parts we got going on this one. Awesome. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Men on Miscarriage podcast. Today is a uh, special episode. I have my wife, Kristen Haglin, who's yep. going to be uh, interviewing me today. And uh, this has kind of been a long time coming, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's been in the works for a while. In the I wor- do know I'm not a man, so we are very aware. Yeah, we are hyper aware, which is kind of interesting because we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But the whole point of the podcast was to kind of get the male perspective, yeah, like get the, the men's insight on uh what is going on inside this like journey through through miscarriage uh and so the idea of men interviewing men was to be able to bring things out and guys that maybe are hard to bring out because the girl's perspective is going to look at and perceive things in a certain way and also there's certain struggles that come with being the guy in the situation where uh some of the big things have been like you 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 don't have strong enough or worthy enough feelings or thoughts and so um or, or just naturally you go, I, I, I naturally don't feel that my thoughts or feelings are as important yeah. uh, as, as the one that my wife or my, my partner is going through. Uh, and so it was kind of, again, like I said, we'll get there. This is an interesting one because instead mm-hmm. of just having another guy interview me, um, maybe you can start off. My only question I think would be like, why did you want to do it this way? Because I, I brought yeah. up the idea totally. Um, and you took some time to think about it and pray about it and then mm-hmm. kind of ran with it. So maybe you can answer that question and then we'll transfer transfer power yeah. <laughs> over to we'll, you to kind of ask yeah. me the questions today. We'll get to more of the story of how this came about, kind of like the struggle you were in when this idea came about. But I think I just was very much on board with why you wanted to do it and um, that there was so much out there for women and a lot of the woman's voice and in our story, like people really did focus on me more than you. And so I decided I still wanted to do this and be on the podcast, even though I'm not a man, but to really show my support of you and um, that your story is as valuable as mine and wanting to highlight that. So that's my goal for today to not have the right answer or no, this is really how it went or whatever, anything like that. But just to really highlight, um, because I was there walking alongside you and the whole thing and so hopefully to just bring out more of your story yeah i really appreciate that and i yeah. think that's one of the powerful things too is because um when i noticed the listeners to this podcast three quarters of them are women 75 mm-hmm. percent are women listening to it and so to me that says women are very interested in what the men has to say about yeah. about miscarriage um and and it's just hard though i feel like the, the men i've interviewed the ones that are brave enough to talk about it or feel comfortable enough to talk about it or they're just solid guys and so it's easy for them to talk about hard stuff they shared a lot of support from their from their wives but i've talked to dozens of other men who this is not an easy topic in their marriage and one of the reasons being is because the wife um doesn't know how to engage her husband with this and so i imagine yeah. that that's got to be some of those women that are listening to this podcast is i don't know how to engage my husband i want to i want to yeah. better understand or maybe they're just upset because their husband's not talking about it. Like there's been women who don't want it to be public and don't want to talk about it and men that want to mm-hmm. talk about it and that's hard. And then and there's women that versa, want to yeah. do nothing but talk about it and guys yeah. that are just closed off. And so my hope is that no matter what comes out in this interview between you and I, we're a unique couple I think so and we're too, unique yeah. people. Um, but there are a lot of people like us, but I'm hoping that we can encourage those that are like us and those that aren't, um, we can just give them some different perspective that might help them in their own journey of, of connecting and growing together and not apart through that process. So I think that's my heart too. So, yeah, I think I feel for women, you know, I was, we are a different, maybe a more unique couple or maybe not the average in that I am a little more introverted, a little bit, a lot of my, (laughs) a lot of it. So. I'm going to do my best on this thing, but, um, and then you are very, you are very extroverted and 
talk about feelings a lot and have to verbally process a lot. And so for me, I think I have some empathy in going through this because this was like the first time when you couldn't talk about something and that was something we had to wrestle with. And so I imagine a lot of the women that are listening to this are in that spot where it's like, I need something from him, but he can't give it to me. Like, what do I do next? So hoping this kind of helps that in yeah, that we'll situation too. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get that. Cause it's going to be a bit of a mixed interview. So I imagine that totally. there'll be some back and forth, but you are leading this one because I'm here yeah. to answer questions. I'm excited. So I'm going to turn on also. my best Tobias Hagland. Yeah, here, we go. <laughs> here we are. Hey, you got the most training it's... <laughs> compared to anybody. Live on live training. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's just start off first. I will, let's get to know you. They've heard pieces from the different episodes. Maybe they've listened to some of them or all of them. Um, and like little snippets of your story have come out as you've interviewed some of the other men. But um, I don't think they really know who you are yet. You haven't heard a whole bunch of your even like your background and just yeah. who you are. So let's start out like, who are you? What do you do? First of all? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um yeah, and I love this part of the podcast. You and I have talked about this a lot. It's just that it, it, if you open up a podcast and it's like, and then and that's when we lost the baby. Like right up from the beginning, it can be very like, holy crap, that yeah. got heavy real fast. So I've really enjoyed getting to know people. And then also too, we were talking about this from our interview with Phil, like yeah. hearing his life story of like- Totally impacted. Just Yeah, yeah crazy, right? Because all the things that he went through, you might hearing some of Phil's later comments without hearing the beginning, if you were to skip forward, you might be like, oh, he's kind of not- he's not giving enough attention to this and he's not feeling it enough. But like, if you hear his story, you're like, no, that's not true at all. If you understand who he is, there's the context is important. So yeah, totally. Yeah. I'll get into it. So I, um, was always Southern California born and raised, been here for most all my life. I've not gone anywhere at most. I've not gone anywhere else. I've never lived more than an hour and a half away from where I was born. Um, I uh, went home t with my mom and my dad when I was born. We grew up in Paris, California, uh, lived on a lot of farmland, uh, grew up around mm -hmm. a lot of uh, potato and onion farms. That was really fun, kind of doing yeah. that. Uh, definitely a, a dirt clod, dirty bird, whatever you would call it, um, of a kid. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, give us a nugget of growing up in Paris, California. Yeah. Well, my favorite story is live wire story. I don't know if you can oh, tell live that. Wire. Yeah. So that was a funny story. Yeah. So we grew up not really around a lot of people around. Um, we, and then if we, I, I think I made my first like quote unquote neighbor friend by, when I maybe was like 11 yeah. or something like that. And so the rest was school and things like that. I remember riding the bus to school, walking down all the way to the end of the road and catching a bus there, you know, with my dog in tow. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I remember, she'd walk you to school. Yeah, I, we yeah. had a chow chow called Jasmine that would walk me down to the uh, bus stop and then I'd get on the bus and then she'd walk back home. It was adorable. It was like yeah. far, like Southern California farm life kind of deal. But yeah, that's so we would just find stupid things to do. So I'm, I'm really adventurous and I like trying mm -hmm. new things um, and I really like experimenting and taking risks because um, I kind of grew up in a, literally surrounded by dirt and you just had to find ways to entertain yourself. So... <laughs> Lots of like uh, cut up body parts from from riding dune buggies and a lot of broken bones from bicycle jumps made out of plywood, you know that kind of thing. But that, yeah, yeah, the the live wire story was we uh, had Which this. You have a you have a brother. I have a brother, yeah. an older brother. Tyler is a year and a half older than I am. We we grew up really close together. He was two years ahead of me in school. Uh, but yeah, so. Um, we grew, we grew up on this uh, two acre piece of land that my mom and my dad uh, had had. And uh, there was this barn, it's still there, that my mom lives in now because uh, several years ago, the, the trailer that we lived in burnt down, uh, which was, uh, well, not burnt down, like it, it caught on fire and then ergo, we had to get rid of it. Uh, didn't you make it. Live in it. It didn't make it, it got totaled. Uh, but my mom now lives in this, above this barn and this kind of granny flat thing that is there, um, but below, it used to be kind of like a garage-ish kind of space. Like that's how it's built or used to be built. And then we had kept dogs in there for a while. Uh, and then um, they decided to clean it up because they were going to turn it into like a game room. And so uh, the dogs have been staying there for a while. So there was kind of like, there was dog mess like on the ground and the concrete and stuff. And so me and my brother, and I think my cousin Grant, um, the other two have kids, which is just so funny to think about like now. But I remember my mom put us in there and she was like, here's some dirty towels and some soap and some water. And she's like, Hey, clean this up because we're going to come in and put some carpet. But like this concrete floor is like it's got needs, poo on it yeah, things like that. So, so we were cleaning it up and uh, had a hose just sprayed out and there it was like a water park essentially. And so we, we started kind of like pulling the, the towels together, like whipping each other and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Cause again, it just, that's what boys do is to just yeah. beat on each other. And, uh, 
I, I forget what we were doing, but we were swinging over like this because it was like soapy water, but it also was like we were cleaning up like dog mess. So it yeah. also was a little bit gross and you didn't want it on you. So, of course, what are we doing? We're throwing it at each other and you know, that kind who of thing. Who can get the most on Who can get the else? most mess on somebody else? Yeah. And I don't remember who it was. I think it might have been my brother, um, but like swung the towel up above this because they took out all the fixtures and everything. But we didn't, there were sort of all these wires hanging down from like where like lights would be or, or like fans would be or the, I think this was where the garage door opener was. Mm-hmm. And swung the towel up and hit it with this wet towel and kind of like, yeah, you know, just kind of, but didn't realize at first that it was like electric. He thought he just like pulled his shoulder or something, but then it was immediately Mm -hmm. gone. And like, yeah, that's weird. And so we had finally found out, discovered that like when you hit this, it was because the wire had electricity running through. It was a live wire. Of course. So we spent the next. So 20, the next idea is the to, next 20, 30 minutes was like see yeah. who can hit it the most. Right. You know who's can electrocute themselves That's the most. The, I remember my mom walking through like a half idea. hour later and we're literally swinging these wet towels at this live wire. She's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> it's just, anyway, so that was a lot of my childhood was was kind of like that. But uh, yeah, uh, grew up. My my parents had separated when mm-hmm. I was about a year and a half, two years old or so. Um, so I saw my dad um uh, some some weekends you know, a, a month like that. didn't regularly see him during the week very often and uh, got some holidays and some summers with him and stuff like that. He lived up in Big Bear for a while, but mostly was with my mom. Uh, mm-hmm. My mom worked really, really hard. Um, uh, and my brother and I, yeah, we kind of just lived this like farm style kind of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, uh, again, we were close. I don't know. We, we got to our first fight, I think maybe when I was like 14 and he was 16. I think that was like the first time we got in a fight. Mm-hmm. Everything after that was just pretty good brotherly love stuff but um my parents got back together again when i was young 10 or 11 or so i think and then um they separated again when i was 16 and so that that was hard on me as it was it was on yeah. everybody um i was going to high school at the time um when when they separated again my dad moved to riverside my mom's still in the same house that they practically took me home in and so um yeah i love my parents i they're both really really unique people everybody in my family is teachers so i went to school to be a teacher i went to ucsd here in san diego and i majored in political science and i minored in education i wanted to be a history teacher my dad was also a history teacher and so i i'd always loved history i loved politics still do um and that's kind of what i wanted to do with my life and um went to before we get to college just can you do a little bit a snippet of because we don't don't know what you do so like maybe high school a little bit of young life yeah, so they yeah. kind of get a taste of yeah right about where i was uh, oh sorry no no no, you're good um so i started working for young life right out of college young life was uh the organization that i got involved in the end of my junior year of high school mm-hmm. um huge impact on my life changed my world um it was a big part of my faith development and kind of drawing the picture of who i was going to be for the next 15 years um and so uh, when I went to college, I started volunteering for Young Life. Um, like I said, went to UCSD and uh, did that for four years. And then when I graduated, uh, it was kind of crazy. Like there was, I, I, after my parents' second separation, that was really tough for me. I think I felt really alone, felt really isolated. And um, so I threw myself into like achievements and, and threw mm-hmm. myself into trying to be really, really good at yeah. things that I thought were impressive. And so... I had a pretty impressive senior year. Like I remember I was first chair trombone in marching band and jazz band uh, and concert band, um, which which I thought was cool. So just excelled um, musically there. Um, I got elected to the ASB position I had ran for commissioner of events, I think it was. So I was in charge of um, uh, the assemblies and things like mm-hmm. that. I just had a blast with that. Um, I got a spot on the uh, top uh, relay team on, on my uh, my swim team. Uh, we went to CIF and then CIF Masters. One, it's so funny. One of the guys I swam with won a gold medal in the Olympics, last Olympics, and that was pretty pretty cool. Yeah. I swam with that guy. We were like he was he was like second leg, I was third leg. That's yeah. crazy. Or he was fourth leg, I was third. Um, so that was pretty fun. And then I even got the lead in the uh, school spring musical yeah. that, that had come out. I I like had just tried to, and it's so funny. I picked the things that I think were kind of performance based, yeah. you know, because, um, I think because of just what was happening in my family, I really wanted, uh, affirmation and acknowledgement. Um, yeah. words of affirmation is my, my number one love language. Um, I, 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 words are really important to me, uh, what people say, how they, how they choose, um, to engage yeah. with people is a big deal to me. Um, so, and so I man think that, of like, many hats always have been man of many hats always many have talents. been many times. Ta- yeah. I don't know if it's, if it's many talents as much as it, cause I think that sounds kind of pretentious, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, I, I, I really, when I put my, my, I think my dad would say when I put my mind to something, 
mm-hmm. I would go until I achieved mm-hmm. it. Not so much that if I put my mind to something, I would happen to just be good at it. It was, if I picked, I wanted to be good at something. I, I worked my tail yeah. off until I was. Yeah. I remember when I joined the swim team, no swim experience or anything like that going from sophomore to junior year. Um, and I remember asking the coach, I want to be in the swim team. He's like, do you have any experience? I was like, no. Um, and he's like, yeah, I don't know if you'll do it. And I was kind of like, well, what would I need to do? And he's like, go to the gym every day, swim, mm-hmm. swim. 50 laps or something like that, you know? And I was like, okay. And I remember I went to the gym. Uh, I got a gym membership. My dad got me a gym membership yeah. at LA Fitness in Riverside. And I started going to swim at the gym every day after school. Yeah. I remember I went back like a couple weeks later. I was like, I've been to the gym every every day for a couple weeks. Um, is there anything else? Because I'm doing my 50 laps, but honestly, I feel like I have more in me. I remember him just being like, what it's good <laughs> like, he said like, that though because swimming's not a sport you want to just no. like try out yeah absolutely but i i got like if i really want to do so i got pretty determined and yeah. so it's not like i just yeah. found out i was good at swimming I, I think i did at some point but it was weeks and months of me practicing and so that whole uh that whole kind of break i think it was winter winter of junior year i was teaching myself how to swim nobody was teaching me nobody was teaching me strokes which i know is frustrating for you yeah. because i learned my own way and it's not very helpful to teach others <laughs> Um, but I, I started getting pretty good. I remember I bought my first speedo from him. Cause I was like, I, I was like, um, I was, all these other people are wearing kind of these like skimpier swimsuits. He's like, yeah, you probably should get a pair. I was like, well, where do I get one? And he's like, we'll go to like a sports store. And I was like, I remember it felt like walking into a women's lingerie store. I was like, I didn't want to do that. And he's like, well, I've got some here from the team. And so I bought one from him for like 20 bucks. Um, and then started training in that. And then I, I came to the first practice. It was awkward. It was weird. Like but coming came in, to like it. I, oh, I loved it. Yeah. But I, it's funny. I started in like the last lane. You know, there's like, you know, 12 lanes at yeah. the pool that we were in. And every every week he would move me up a lane until I was in the first lane, swimming yeah. with guys who had been swimming for like their entire lives. Yeah. Um, and I just I just was natural at it. I got really good at it. But yeah. I but again, I, I was a natural, I think, to some extent, but also like, hey, kids, <laughs> you know, I spent I spent months training myself, even when no one would train. But me to go from to like it. not doing it to like CIF level in yeah. just a few months, like. If you're not going to toot your horn, I'll toot it. Like, that's pretty good. Like, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So that's, so that's where I think some of the natural talent comes yeah. in. But also, it's like, it was really hard work. I, I think I worked yeah. I worked harder and, and I said no to things to get good at this. Definitely. Um, that I think even people with natural talent don't do, and so they miss out. And, yeah. And because of that, I made some en- enemies on the team, and I really just was like, dude, just work hard. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, yeah, so I did that. I continued doing that in college. Uh, so when I graduated, I had a lot of accolades, a lot of things. I, I, I pushed. I remember all kinds of stuff I wanted. And I remember going after it. There's, yeah. there's people who are still uh, like the, the provost at the school now probably could tell the story about how I sat outside her office uh, for like five weeks in a row to get onto this um, committee on admissions that had a student spot available for it that hadn't been filled in 20 years because hmm. no student really knew about it and, and delivered that. And so they had had 20 years of not having a student on the committee on admissions. And hmm. so I remember showing up to her office for weeks until she finally uh, I showed up and they were having a meeting and she just brought me in. Yeah. And so I started sitting down and being a part of that meeting and stuff. And so I think it was just that diligence of going after it, getting after it, working really hard, nose to the grindstone, busting my butt yeah. to try to earn a spot into places that I felt like I wanted to grow. So, But also curious and you love learning and all Absolutely. that too. Absolutely. I love learning. Yeah. I love growing. I love constructive criticism. I love getting better. I love transforming. Uh, but I started working for Young Life mainly because a lot of the things I had worked really hard to do and to earn yeah. all fell through and it was mm-hmm. crazy to me when i graduated because i was like my life's supposed to look a certain way it's supposed totally. to look like this um or i really wanted it and i worked really hard and it and just that felt would like have been the obvious next obvious step. next yeah. step you know like um and that's kind of how my life went like it was like you work hard enough you bust your butt you show up you push you'll get it mm-hmm. and i had done that in several different arenas as i was graduating college yeah. and it felt like god just came in and closed all those doors that was my only explanation i could understand because none of it made sense yeah uh, but then decided to go into ministry by working for Young Life and um, started the fundraising process, which was, uh, I think some of my perspective started changing because I had worked really hard um, to try to earn things. Um, but when it came to being in ministry and doing Young Life and starting up uh, Young Life Capernaum Ministries or helping helping establish uh, stronger Young Life Capernaum Ministries in San Diego, it wasn't me. Yeah. Like that, that was huge, I think, for my growth and my uh, maturity was like, finally, the thing that I'm doing with my life is the one thing I feel like I didn't earn. Yeah. So so you're talking about like God's calling on your life and all that. W- what was your faith background? You were always a Christian, grew up in a Christian home. Yeah, grew up. Um, yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. I remember distinctly my dad um, reading, you know, Bible studies to me when I was a kid and um 
uh, every night before we went to bed, something I want to do with my kids. Uh, but yeah, I think I just didn't really, because of my parents' separation, not because of it, but I think that was a, a part of it. Um, I kind of just kind of lost my own practice of it, lost my own mm-hmm. engagement of it. But history teacher at my high school, Rusty, um, developed a strong relationship with me and, and, and poured into my life and, mm-hmm. um, cared, cared for me and about me in ways that, um, other people who, who I didn't feel had an obligation to, yeah. he, he, he did it without obligation. And so, uh, like I said, that was really like transformative in my, in my life. I, I felt like I had gotten an opportunity to assess things in a way that I don't think I would have been able to do on my own. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really cool. And I, when I, one of the reasons I wanted to pursue young life was I wanted to provide that for other students. And then I started off doing it for kids with special needs. And I did that for three and a half years, four years, mm-hmm. uh, called Capernaum. Uh, and that was also formative as well because there's, it's not flashy or some people think it is, but it's not, yeah. you know, um, uh, powerful, meaningful, um, but, uh, hard. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was really formative for me. So yeah. I actually, I, yeah, I was, I was youth pastor for three and a half years as well when we first mm-hmm. moved up, moved out to East County. But, um, yeah, after all that had happened, you and I were dating when I yeah, first I was gonna went into say, ministry. What, and, yeah. When did we meet? What's our... Yeah, so you and I met uh, through some mutual friends through the college ministry at Flood Church mm-hmm. in San Diego. We had both been to, I remember Flood Church was the first church I went to when I came down here and stuck with them for a really long time. I think I went to Flood for, oh gosh, ten, eight years, eight, eight to eight, ten years, yeah. eight to somewhere in between, <laughs> eight, no, yeah, uh, about nine, nine and a half years, mm-hmm. yeah, if you count it, 2006 to 2015, something like that, yeah, nine years, Um and uh yeah we met through some mutual friends at the this is about 2010 there. i think we met somewhere 2009 we would have met fall 2009 yeah, fall yeah. 2009 we would have met um yeah i we were we were friends for a while before we even mm-hmm. started dating i think we were friends probably for about yeah. a year so that was really fun i remember i was um when we had met i think i had been in two relationships by the time we had dated which was one of the things that was really different about you mm-hmm. and me um I, I dated probably like a hundred girls or gone on like a hundred thousand dates, whatever yeah. it was. I just was very much, a um, like I, my life was a speed date until I met you, yeah. you know, um, which is, I don't know. It's, I it's, was it's, different. Yeah. Yeah. Hit and you, I hadn't and then, yeah, <laughs> dated too much or if any at all. So yeah. 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 You didn't date much at all. Um, so it was really funny. It's like, if there was a, if there was like a funny little short story about it, I feel like I was in this speed dating event, you know, going back and forth and then you walked in for some reason and I thought you were part of it and then yeah. sat down with you and then just never got back in the ring, yeah. you know? So I don't, I don't know. I think that's kind of, that could, that's like a romantic movie. Yeah. That could totally be like a, <laughs> like a Hallmark romantic movie thing is thinking you're in the speed dating thing and you weren't, but I didn't know. And it didn't really matter. I knew. Shut and up. I saw you. Hurtful. I knew right away. Forever. <laughs> cool so then we met and we started dating uh-huh dated for three and a half years yeah in there in that time you started doing young life mm-hmm. like started my career you started your career mm-hmm. um about two, teaching, two and a half yeah. years into it something yeah. like that right yeah and then um yeah so three and a half years we dated and then we went and we got we got married and can you give us, I don't know, maybe in this point we like give a little background on like what we thought our kid journey was going to be, our family, creating a family, what we kind of thought yeah, we, and we where that up, came from. We grew up in different kind of families. Obviously, I was um, I was raised by uh, separated parents, spent most of my time with my mom, um, who did an amazing job yeah. raising my brother and I. Yeah. She's one of my heroes um, for how faithful uh, she's and She's a pretty hardcore she lady. She's a hardcore lady for yeah. sure. She's also soft and yeah. kind and generous. Um, really I, I good at making her. food. Really good at making food. Yeah. <laughs> my mom actually said on the chat things that tell, tell everybody about my turkey. So just side sidebar. Oh, yeah, Fred. A little bit. We grew up different. You oh, grew yeah. up in Orange County area, you know, <laughs> with four siblings. I had my only brother. But yeah, a turkey named Fred who was literally my best friend for a long time. Um, we would sit together, play together, all kinds of stuff. Huge, like he was the size of me, kind of turkey, just massive. So, anyways, just a little bit of snapshot into my life. I could totally own a turkey pet again, totally, one hundred percent. To um, be a little more clear, they were very close. Tobias, when he thinks he play, you'll even see him sometimes. Yeah, I'll play with my like, beard, playing with like his goatee thing, beard, and he would sit on the porch next to the turkey, and he would um, reach over and just play with the just turkeys, play with like the waddle. 
the waddle thing. Mm-hmm. And they would just sit and ponder life together. Well, Fred would just sit there and go. Yeah. He really liked it. So I, I still, a little I still bit do awkward. it to myself. It's not yeah. awkward. It's what that's what true love. You can I mean, sit and pet a cat. True love. I meant true love. Or you can sit awkward. and scratch yeah, yeah, a dog, yeah. but then you can't sit and play with your turkey's waddle. That doesn't make any sense. It's a uh, little different. It's not different. It's, it's the same thing. It's just friends. Yeah. Don't say sackish. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, so we grew up different in that regard. Yeah. But my parents were both foster parents as well. So I grew up having kids who were foster parents in the home. Um, and I remember being really moved by that. My family felt my family felt very big and it felt very extended. It mm-hmm. felt like it was inclusive of people who didn't look like me, who mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with. So the idea of family was a lot. And also I think because my parents were separated for a large portion of my life, my, my family and my concept of family felt more broad. Yeah. Um, and I think for you guys, you were the Henry's. That was very yeah. much a, you had this family identity Two thing. parents, four kids, Two parents, four stayed kids. close. Yeah. yeah. You were like the Henry's. And you even yeah. talked about that. Like, well, people know that about the Henry's mm-hmm. or the Henry girls, you would say, and stuff like that. And that was so far off of what something I would have experienced. Nobody would have referred to me or my family in that kind of unit regard. And so I think my view of family and even kids after we had gotten married and before we talked about this before we had gotten married, Mm -hmm. mine was a lot more more broad. I, the, the, the door in and out of the family for me was, um, had loose hinges where I'd say like for you guys, because of the, the collective nature of it and the idea of what Henry was like, that was a locked door that you yeah. needed to know the password for. It was very special. And, it, and that's great. And mm-hmm. that's cool. And there was nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with my thing. I think you getting introduced to my way of looking at it, it felt very obtrusive. It felt very disingenuous. You know, it felt very um, too easy to mess with. And I think when I looked at yours, it felt closed off. It felt mm-hmm. um, elitist. You know, it felt like kind of mi- mm. like people will miss out, that kind yeah. of thing. And they're, they're both wrong and right and all those different things. So totally. when we talked about kids, I remember I wanted to... This is early on in early dating. Early on, even yeah. in dating. But even after right after we got married, I knew I wanted to adopt and I knew I wanted to foster. And I remember you had said, like, well, I don't. Like, it was just not... Yeah, you, I remember where we were on the freeway when you told me. And I remember you saying... Like we were dating maybe just a few months, but I totally was like, this is the guy I'm going to marry. But we had this conversation. You were just like, well, yeah, me and my wife, like we're going to adopt. Like that's how we're going to have kids. And then it was just like, if I'm going to be his wife, then I'm, that means me. (laughs) I just remember having this like panic and like, cause that was really foreign. It wasn't something I had thought about. Um, Our family didn't do that. And so. And your family's family didn't do mm -mm. that. Like that's not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you were you were you were not for it, not necessarily anti other people doing it, but you were like, I don't see that as being part of that my story. Wasn't something I had vision, yeah. Yeah, I just thought I'd have my own. And, and we, stuff. I think we would yeah. like playfully argue about that when we were dating, mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of blah blah blah. But then I remember when we first got married, it came up again, and I remember you. I don't remember what was going on, but you were like, I'm not ready for that. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. And I need you to be okay. Like Mm. that, like me and our family is enough. And I remember being like crushed by that, but then also going, yeah, like I married this woman. So I pick her before I pick other things. So it was like, okay, I'm going to need you more than that. That's a possibility that I'm not going to get that. And I remember for like a year, our first year of marriage, I remember just anytime the feeling would come up, I didn't want to bring it up because I knew at this point you had been really clear and me bringing it up again would have been rude and, mm. and and like not not listening to you yeah. at all um and so um yeah i just prayed and i just said all right god like this conviction's still in my heart but you place me with this woman and she's not interested so if this is something you want us to do like you need to convince her then as well which i think was actually a pretty mature thing to pray at the yeah. age that i was at um because that was not my mo about 99 percent of anything else yeah was... we'd only been married for like a few, like two three months i think it was yeah. real short yeah yeah and so the conversation had stopped i think for about like eight or nine months and then um and then god had transformed your heart later yeah that year, I, think. I had kind of an aha moment of seeing that be more part of our life and something that I needed to open up to and create God just created that space in my heart. So um we kind of jumped onto that train. Right. We, did, we yeah. thought our original plan was foster or adopt first and then right. maybe have we kinda always wanted both to do both and still have biological kids, but we totally thought we were gonna adopt first. So Yeah, and I think I remember we even 
had, which I think is a really still a really meaningful, powerful outlook on it, was this idea of we wanted to adopt first because we wanted our adopted kid to know that they weren't a plan B, a plan B, mm-hmm. you know, which I still think is really, yeah, really totally. powerful. Um, and, and I, I think adoption in and of itself is really powerful and it's not diminished by when you adopt, mm-hmm. but at the time that, that felt really compelling. Mm-hmm. And I think, but honestly, I think that's part of where we were supposed to go. That's what we needed to feel in that yep. moment to go where we were supposed yep. to go. But we, we went through the long year long process of getting approved to foster. Um, and then we were in our new house that we, uh, moved into in 2014 in El Cajon. And I think it was. Yeah, so we got married about 2013, yeah. moved into our new house 2014. In Oklahoma, yeah. And yeah. I think we we took a year in the new house, and then we spent the next year after that getting ready to foster, mm-hmm. and then we fostered for a year after that. Yeah. Yeah, so this would have been, gosh, the years. There was more years before we got, we started to get cleared. Maybe maybe two years, nothing, and then one year cleared, and then one year fostered. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so two years, nothing, and then... Yeah. Just getting used to marriage and all that stuff yeah, and getting settled in our getting careers. settled in our careers and all that. And then we got approved. We're still technically approved for foster uh, fostering right now. We have some mm-hmm. stuff we gotta do to stay cleared. But um yeah, then we took in Anastasia. Um yeah. who we can talk about a little bit now because we're not currently she doesn't have any cases open or anything like that, but she was thirteen year old girl. Yeah. That was a really challenging but also awesome experience. Awesome. She was an amazing kid. She was an yeah. amazing kid. Um we were really blessed, I think. Uh there, I I love telling her story because I think when it comes to fostering, people can all you hear are the bad stories. Yeah. But in my experience with fostering, there's overwhelmingly larger amount of good positive Definitely. stories. You just don't hear about them because they're not flashy. It's it was just meaningful. Yeah. You know, and it was just, and she was 13, so a lot of people are afraid of you know teenage teenagers. Yeah, so I know stuff. they come with too much baggage or things. I think both of us felt compelled to do older, yeah. uh, at least for the first one as well, because it was less. You could leave them at home. They could uh, occupy themselves, entertain themselves. But that was a really powerful experience, I think, mm-hmm. for us. Um, there was no really intention or option for adoption or anything yeah, like she that. She had family from she the beginning family. that we knew were trying to get her. So, But it was yeah. really cool just being able to be a part of her education. She had a huge turnaround in her education mm-hmm. that year. Then we got to be a part of that, which was really cool. Um, and then uh, just really neat stuff. I, I she's a, she's a really great kid, and she'll always have a special place in our hearts. For I think. Sure. Um, but we had for about her for about a year, mm-hmm. and then um, she uh, is now with family, which yeah. is really cool. Um, family that's great, great family. Yeah. Um, really, really cool. And uh, and then a year after that, we moved into. Uh, our new home here, but there's a little bit of the, the story kind of starts yeah, yeah, yeah. Like right there. So. so it's probably a good time to. Yeah. So towards the end of having Anastasia, that's when I started to get the sense that maybe we should try to start trying and um, that maybe a biological kid was coming. I felt like that was something God was saying that more specific because I always, I had totally kind of given up on, not given up, but just like put having my own kids aside and thought I was just going to adopt and I was all on board with that. So um, towards the end, then it felt like God was kind of like, no, I think like you and Tobias are going to create something for this world. And so for me, that was like a shock because I had like taken three, four, five years to get totally, go from not thinking I'd ever adopt to like being fully on board. And then it felt like God kind of like twisted or like flipped the script again. Yeah. It felt that way. Yeah. And, um, then it took you a second to kind of get that, catch that vision too. Yeah. I remember we had talked about having bio kids and I never, I never was against it, but I always remember feeling more compelled to foster and adopt. Yeah. Like I never was anti having our own kid but in a way it felt like opting for my own bio kid felt in some ways like ignoring this conviction that i had for kids who don't have parents um and that conviction i think is still there it's just Mm -hmm. different it's just different now i still have a huge heart for kids who don't have families and don't have parents and it breaks my heart uh that we have so many kids in this world that don't have families and that's why i think it's still a part of our story we Um, still want it to be we We haven't yeah still very much but yeah, so I remember you had kind of felt like God was transitioning your heart and saying you wanted you to have a bio kid now that Anastasia was gone. Um, I think realizing the timing with Anastasia and just how long everything took too, it was just, mm. um, it might, yeah, it was a good time to try to have bio kids too before I got too old. So 
But anyways, that's but kind of a side too, thing. Too old, but too old is a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know that that's an yeah. There's more to it. Just than for that, any woman who but... out there who may be your age, you're not too old. Yeah, <laughs> women, totally. Women have children. Women have children well into their forties, and you're nowhere near that. But um, yeah, it just it felt like there was a compelling thing there, and I and I remember just not knowing what to do because I was like, sure. And you were like, you wanted me to be as excited as you were about mm. having a bio kid. And I, and it was hard because I just, I'm a really bad liar, Yeah. which I think is, it's good. you're welcome. It's a blessing. Yeah, I think yeah, it's a totally. blessing, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's hard because the things that I think you prefer I fake, I'm not very good at faking. Yeah. And it's not like I'm not good at it, so I don't try. It's like, even when I try, you're like, you're just full of it. Yeah. It's like, I don't know what you want me to do. You know, yeah. I don't know what to do. Uh, and I have not gotten better at it, which again, I think I'm okay with that. Like, I'm all right. I'm all right with that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, at least, especially with us, I think. For other nobodies out there, I can lie my pants off. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, and I so I remember kind of wanting that to change, but it's like you can't. The heart want, wants what the heart wants, and then also it doesn't want what it doesn't want, you know. And not that, that I didn't want it. It was like I would have been excited, but I think it's kind of part and parcel to the experience I think men have with pregnancy in general, which was it was. I, I it's really hard hard for me to get excited about something that's like not a conviction or not right in front of me. Mm. You know, yeah, um, you have a mission and a plan and yeah. execute, execute it. Yeah. yeah. But, um, which is very much your story, right? Yeah. You put your absolutely. mind to it and you get it done for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, it's hard to even explain now, like what that was, what that was like. I just remember not feeling like I needed to go make it happen, but I was on board if you were on board and I didn't know what to do with that stuck spot of mm-hmm. you wanting to be as motivated as you were. Right. Um, cause it felt like I couldn't compete with mm-hmm. you. And so what was the point in trying? Yeah. I couldn't lie my way through it cause you catch me. There's no way I was going to be as excited as mm-hmm. you were about it. And so it just felt stuck, yeah. super stuck. So I think, uh, that was for a while, I think 10 months, maybe we battled with that. I don't know it was that sp- long, but yeah, we, yeah. but that next spring I went on a men's retreat mm-hmm. to Malibu, a young life camp up in uh, Vancouver and uh been a couple years going there and i remember it was really cool it was like one of those moments that like we we had another moment like this later on mm-hmm. um but this was my first time one of my first times with a moment like this but i remember um it was kind of like the quiet time or whatever to like go out and pray and i remember i found this bench which oh that should be another picture we should get mm-hmm. printed so anyway, we're homemakers so turn in <laughs> try to put more cool pictures up but there was this bench i found that i went and prayed at and i remember saying like hey god like I want to not match my wife, but I want to reflect mm-hmm. what my wife feels in my own way. Um, I want my version of that. Then, mm-hmm. and, and I remember, um, uh, but right before that, I was in a session with a guy that was talking about. Uh, he's a uh, oh, it's a doctor that works with cancer cancer patients. It's not ophthalmologist. Not gonna it? help. I won't be able to help you, but yeah, Gosh, the doctors that work with the cancer patients. That works with cancer patients. Anyway, he wrote a book about interviewing and being with people who were um, oncologists. Oncologists is that what it is? I think maybe. Maybe. I don't know. We're not medical. True. People. But uh, <laughs> something. It's a gist. Uh, you got the gist. Yeah. Get it. Uh, but he he wrote a book on patients that he had spoken with who um, were knew they were gonna die, and. Uh, creepy book right yeah, like it just was good, like this is really insane encouraging. Yeah. well it was encouraging because he talked about the difference between people who accepted the reality that they're gonna die mm. um what they did with the time they had left how they operated uh what all that stuff and then yeah. those who couldn't accept it mm. who who uh um because there's a difference in fighting for hope yeah. but accepting the reality and yeah. then being ignorant and, mm. and fighting back on something that you can't control um and his his session was and it was amazing. Yeah. It was really powerful. But he 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 had mentioned an exact story where he had had a certain amount of kids, and it had been ten years since they had any kids. And his wife said, "I feel like I want to have another baby." And he being like, "What? What are you yeah. talking about? It's been ten years. Like we're not having another kid." Um, and this was part of his story. I don't remember exactly how, but he had mentioned that he was praying that the Lord would change his heart. And he was walking. Said he must have walked six miles. And he said, "Lord, I just need you to change my heart. Change my heart. Mm. I need you to change my heart because I don't feel it, and I want to. I want to have a kid." And he yeah. said, "It changed as quickly from one step to the next." He mm. said it, it just changed. And mm. I remember sitting on that bench going, God, I feel like that's what I need, Lord. Mm. Like, I, I want that. I want, I want to just, I want the transformation and I'm, I want it now. Mm. And it was crazy. It was cool. It just, yeah. uh, it didn't happen to me like one step over the next, you know, yeah. like I, I asked for that, but I didn't get that part. But I went walking back feeling kind of defeated and disappointed. Like nothing really changed. 
but I remember I was walking back to the main section and out over in this like area, I had this picture of it, I took a picture mm-hmm. of it too. And you did this cool little painting of it. I wish we would have yeah. grabbed it, but, uh, it, it's Canada, you know, so there were these geese and I remember there was this like big geese, which I assume was the male and then like a medium sized geese, which I assume was the female. And then there was one gosling just like kind of like, eating out in the grass right there. Yeah. No, no other geese around or anything. Just this, this little unit of three. And I remember just looking over and then like the big one just kind of like sticks up his head and is like looking at me and I just was looking at it. And I remember I didn't... The mom and baby are eating. Mom and baby are just like eating. Or she's helping him eat stuff. And then this big goose, it's like he wasn't aggressive. He wasn't protective. It just He just was looking at me and like I was looking at him. And I... You know what's up, dude. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what it, like, you know, it didn't feel like that, but <laughs> it was a cool experience. I didn't feel anything like I didn't feel God go, this is it. You know, like yeah. what? there was no secret. There was no, there was no special thing, but I felt my heart start to change. Yeah. That's all I know. I don't, mm. I didn't hear anything. I didn't feel anything special or unique. I just, I'll, but I do know I felt my heart start to change. And then on my walk back, um, we finish off this prayer time and then we went to the store and then there was this little onesie mm. that had this little squirrel yeah. on it. And I remember like, I wanted to cry. I remember feeling like I want a baby. Yeah. Like I remember I will not just a baby. I want, I want my baby. Like mm-hmm. I want to make one with my wife. Like mm. I met, and then it, that feeling had never been there before. And so I immediately snatched the, the onesie yeah. <laughs> and I bought it and I knew I was going to give it to you when I got home. And it's crazy. I can't explain it, but something no. changed. And I was like, I want to have, I want to make a baby. Like, no. I want to I do that. There's something really special that didn't have anything to do with you mm. influencing or manipulating that. It was just, I felt something I hadn't felt mm. yet. So that was really cool. So I came mm. home. I remember telling you I wanted to have a baby and That's I, think just tried, inc- I think we tried that night. <laughs> like, we like, Probably. Ready to go. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I think that's just an encouragement to spouses out there. Like, man, if you're getting in a stuck spot, I don't know. I just feel like my heart changed towards adoption and then your heart. Like, God can do things. Like, right, he can change your spouse's heart. And um, sometimes it takes longer and waiting on his timing. But um, I feel like it always takes longer than Totally. Than and it's never to. what you expect, which kind of leads us to the next part, right? So we yeah. start trying and this point we think oh god is like giving a little blessing to this and it's just gonna happen and of course he wants it because we both were feeling it and it felt so great and awesome that we were on the same page and then um yeah so then we tried for a few months and maybe you can yeah so we tried for a few months i remember there's a lot of anxiety around that um you battle anxiety Mm -hmm. i think that's something that people who know you know and that's not a secret and the reason it doesn't doesn't need to be it's a part of who a lot of us are um and so when we were trying i remember it had been like a month and you were like oh it didn't happen the first month and i remember thinking like mm-hmm. man they told us it's an average of six to 12 months for people to get pregnant and we were like at month even month two and you're like it hasn't happened something's wrong it's <laughs> just like man uh and i remember just so trying to navigate i think that was hard mm-hmm. trying to get pregnant and then there was a lot of pressure around getting pregnant i remember it was even hard for me to be excited about it because it felt yeah. like oh that's just so much pressure and so it's it, i don't I think some people just naturally are, are, are reversed to anxiety and God bless them. You know, they don't have yeah. to worry about that as much, but I mean, that's a part of our story. And so that was, that was hard, mm-hmm. I think for a part of it. Um, but then we got pregnant Yeah, and it only took three, three or four months. We got pregnant in our third month. So yeah, two yeah. months or Which so. Which really isn't long at all. Like we sound like, I said, I sound like such a whiner. Why? Well, I, 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 yeah. ma- I blew it up and made it a bigger deal, but, but it's crazy it's how it messes with your brain. You, yeah, yeah. You, you battle with it. It's not like you were. I don't think. You, I don't think it, you would have woken up choosing to be anxious about that, which I think yeah. is how you define anxiety. It's you did it's not. Crazy how fast though, like Satan gets in there, like oh, you won't be able to, and all this uh, weird and stuff. We, so we, we get into it in some of these interviews, but also I think it's cultural. Totally, you know, that's the same thing that the culture does with sex and everything else. Is you see movies and there's like this couple fall in love, you know, on the first date, and then yeah. they have sex like twelve times that night. You're like. Bull and crap. then there's the scene where she's throwing up and everyone goes, oh, she's pregnant already. Yeah, yeah and it's yeah. none of it. None of that is real. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it, to me, and I still don't understand. We all know that. And we all know it's toxic. But yet we still watch these movies yeah. and, and things like that. Like I still like, God bless you if you watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. But I think there's something wrong with you. Uh, you know, <laughs> anyway, like it's just there's these things that we know are not real, but we still gravitate towards them and they affect our, our yeah. feelings of being satisfied. And so. Um, yeah. So getting pregnant in the mm-hmm. sec- in the second month is we're in the top, we're in the top 1% of people yeah. getting pregnant, you know, at least I don't know the real stats on that, but I do know that people say it's average it's of six months. Fast. So yeah, we got pregnant three pretty fast. months for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we got pregnant pretty fast and that was, um, 
So I think really we found exciting. out end of December, or sorry, October-ish, mid-October-ish, we found that, out. Yeah. Anyways, I remember you came and told me, uh, I was at the dining table and you were like, I don't know how to tell you this. And it mm-hmm. was like, obvious, like, oh my God, we're pregnant. And so that was really fun. So this is October 2019. Yes. Yeah. Last October. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that was really fun. We were in our old house. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we had been trying it. So we talked about selling our house. So we we're getting ready to sell our house too. Cause we wanted to move. We were like right on the edge of a major yeah. street. And we, we, were had, like, we needed to move. So. Yeah. We were getting ready to move. Cause we knew we were going to have a kid. Yeah. So we started doing, fixing up the house, getting it ready to show it. Yeah, so at we were, about the time we found out we're pregnant. And I was in my last semester finishing off my master's as yeah. well. So yep. uh, also during that, just other stuff, I, my, that, that summer I had also lost my yeah. my mentor of five years. The guy had been discipling me. Very, very close relationship. Very, very hard on me to do yeah. that. And so there was just a lot of mixed emotions and feelings going around, except for we were really excited we were pregnant, Yes, which was really cool. And I remember that night. I think we called family and told everybody we were just yeah, so like excited. right away we right started away. calling people we were so yeah. excited um and then uh yeah we kind of just kept planning kept getting ready for that i remember i was still super focused on my masters and wanted mm-hmm. to get that done and so it was very much mm-hmm. but we were also selling our house packing up all that jazz so we sold our house like at the end of very end of november and then we hit december and i've got my last two weeks I remember I finished my master's on December 14th, that Friday, or that Saturday or something like that. It was Friday. December 13th, the Friday. December 13th, that Friday. So I finished my master's, and then... Uh, We're, like, packing up our house. Literally. Everything. We've got, like, almost You're writing left. papers. I'm putting dishes in boxes. Yeah, yeah. I did help. You did. Okay, I just made it sound good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, but we packed up all this stuff, got all this stuff into containers that weekend, mm-hmm. and then uh, that Monday... Honestly, all we had to do was go back to the house and like wipe down the the refrigerator, yeah, and then leave the keys to the uh, the the realtor. And so it was that Monday, December sixteenth. We just 16th. had our one year this last year. week, yeah, a couple yeah. days ago. Yeah, we it was that morning, ten a.m. We had an appointment. We mm-hmm. went in and we found out that we had miscarried. And then yeah. it was crazy. Right after that, we had to go back to the house, wipe out the fridge, and leave the keys to our first yeah. home, and we were homeless. Yeah. For for a, for a little bit, and that night we went and stayed with some friends, Chris and Debbie George, who had to stay at their home yeah. for two days. And it was over that two day period that we went through the process of. Yeah, can you give that. us a little bit more of like, probably the worst day ever of our lives, at worst hour, whatever. But like we go in at ten. Yeah. We're thinking everything's fine. Yeah, we went in. At, oh, and at eight weeks we had heard a heartbeat. Yeah, already. so at, at eight weeks we had heard a heartbeat, which was just so cool people tell yeah. you that that's cool but then it happens and it just blows your mind you're yeah. like i made a living thing that's just nuts but yeah we go in it we go in it uh it was a little bit a little bit after 12 weeks mm-hmm. because of the timing um but we went in and this by this point too just to say we, we had already i think it, during week 11 or something like a week prior yeah, we had made barely. an announcement um uh to out to everybody uh just the, kind of the put world put it on social media on social media that, that kind yeah. of thing and so that was really fun to we start. were really confident Everything seemed fine. We didn't I was fine. Not, yeah, yeah, didn't have yeah. a reason not to be. No. And I think a lot, a lot of people's stories is that's that's it. And I'm, um, uh, anyways, yeah. So we go in for the appointment and um, we go back there. Normal stuff happens. They bring you in, get you ready, and then they come get me, bring me in. I'm super excited to hear the heartbeat again. And then she uh, she doesn't do the uh, yeah the stick one. She did the Doppler. She did the Doppler, which is the outside the body. The other Just one's the inside little the body. one. Yeah. But she does the Doppler, uh, and she's feeling around trying to find the heartbeat. And you and I are just sitting there, like really, really excited. And then she's kind of like, "Huh?" And then she like tries a different spot oh, of the she, body. It's going lower and she's lower. She's going lower. Yeah. And then I'm starting to realize the worst. And um, I am not. And my yeah, you're not. My face is going white. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty positive at this moment. And I'm not a negative guy. I'm yeah. usually going to take the positive route if yeah. I can. But I, I'm starting to realize like the baby, the baby's gone. Yeah. Um, and I, and it, my, I just knew I was confident too. I remember mm-hmm. looking at you and I just was like, I don't know what to say. And she was like, I'm going to, I'm going to step out real quick and then I'm going to, I'll be right back. And sometimes she said like, it's hard to hear it sometimes on find it with the little Doppler. So I'm going to go get the bigger machine and I'll be right back. I remember. Yeah. And then you were like, you asked me a question or something and I was just like, 
stalled and you were like what's going on what's up with you you were almost frustrated that i wasn't like super excited i was still in la la land i had no idea i don't remember what i said i think something i just said like i'm really scared Mm -hmm. that like there's not going to be a heartbeat or something and you were like no 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 no. that's not it she just needs to get the other thing and i was like okay and she came back in with a doctor and um they used the different machine that now Mm -hmm. it was the obgyn that was using the other machine the sonogram the sonogram machine um and then like getting a picture of it and stuff. And as it comes yeah. up on the screen, I remember thinking it should be bigger than that. And then mm-hmm. also I remember I'm not seeing the little butterfly flutter, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And then she turns on like the volume thing and it's just yeah. silence and it, nothing. I think that's when you mm-hmm. kind of figured it out too. But I remember I got like stood up and talked to you and you were like, come on, God, like I was totally this, like, yeah. nope, he's going to restart the heart. Like I yeah. was in the total, like, nope, this is Some not happening. Kind of like, yeah which is just man yeah oh that was yeah that was the hardest thing i think i've ever gone through yeah in my life that thus far that was the hardest thing um and it just it it literally broke my heart like it literally it felt like it broke um and then she remember she put the thing down and she kind of like took like a deep breath and i just remember going fuck like yeah that's it you know, she said, I'm so sorry, but like, there's no heartbeat. Yeah. You don't know what to do. We didn't know Just what to everything do. Everything changed and set. And, but minute. it was so many people talked about really bad bedside manner, but I think we've gotten some amazing yeah, bedside she, manner. Our midwife was awesome. She for was sure. amazing. I remember she reached over and she had rubbed your. Yeah. Like even she teared up oh, and was yeah. so sad. Yeah. She was great. Which yeah. was, oh man, just, uh, she was great, but we left knowing that like, um, we needed a, well, they helped us make an appointment. And so yeah. it was the next day. We had an appointment. That to go. afternoon, we had an appointment. Was it that afternoon? Mm-hmm. Really? Damn. Excuse me. I'm sorry, I'm cussing a lot. Let me too. But um, yeah. So that that day, we had an appointment to go back to another appointment, and uh, they were gonna do like one more check, which is kind of I think just a courtesy check at that point. Like they yeah. they know what they're doing, and then talk about options and what's gonna happen next. And so. Hey everyone, that was part one of Kristen's interview with me on the Men on Miscarriage podcast. Go ahead and click next or go on to part two uh, to continue on with the story. Thanks for listening.